There's a show on television on the National Geographic Channel called Doomsday Preppers. I've never actually watched this show, but I heard about it and I did a bit of research. Here's how National Geographic summarizes this show. Doomsday Preppers explores the lives of otherwise ordinary Americans who are preparing for the end of the world as we know it. Unique in their beliefs, motivations, and strategies, preppers will go to whatever lengths they can to make sure they are prepared for any of life's uncertainties. And this season, the preppers are testing the limits of ingenuity as they develop extreme doomsday survival machines, high-tech shelters, and specialized escape routes. With customized features, secret, super-secret locations, and homespun engineering, these extreme Armageddon defense systems are ready for anything. You thought I was making this up. Some people expect World War III to happen at any moment. And maybe that's a possibility with the complex issues in the Ukraine or in Syria or in some other parts of the world. All this adding fuel to our fears. Other people think that the world will be short-circuited soon by cyber attacks or solar flares disrupting everything or maybe chemical warfare, a new worry or even a wild summer storm that's going to destroy everything. So these folks are building elaborate bunkers and making plans to save themselves. In one interview, there's a man who, in addition to storing up all his food and all his water, he has accumulated all these medical supplies and even has uh, trained in medical service, is also installing a huge big screen TV and a sectional sofa with several reclining chairs, and I'm not making this up. In his words, he's able to watch football as he waits for the end of the world. (laughs) Though I'm pretty sure that if the world is slammed by derecho or chemical warfare or World War III, the NFL is going to suspend most of its games, at least those not in a dome stadium. But at the heart of this doomsday prepper business, and it is quite a business because the people buying and selling this are doing very well, at the heart of this doomsday prepper business is this idea that my best hope, my only hope, my ultimate hope is for us to secure ourselves, take care of me and mine. What's real clear about doomsday preppers is that these bunkers and plans, while some of them are very spacious, they're not designed with neighbors in mind. These people are not prepping for anything more than the preservation of themselves. There's certainly no plan, no room, no thought even for the weak or the vulnerable. It's just about me and mine. I'm sharing this not just for your amusement. I'm sharing this because this show about doomsday preppers illustrates what happens to us when fear takes over our lives. 
Doomsday Preppers illustrate so well what happens to us when confusing and threatening thoughts take over our existence. We get so focused on self-preservation that trusting God and serving others gets no more attention in our lives. We get so focused on our fears that faith departs from our hearts and from our minds. So what are the fears that you're dealing with today? This weekend, this season, this life? What are the worries? Is it some new circumstance, some medical challenge that you're now facing? Is it some uncertain professional challenge or change that's coming your way? Is it some emotional or physical suffering that brings fear and worry? Is it something else? The real danger of fear is that fear turns us inward to think and fret about self-preservation, to forget what we believe, to drift far away from all that God promises and all that God intends, The real danger of fear is that it carries us a long way from Easter, Easter joy, Easter hope, Easter living. Indeed, in the face of our fears, we might even forget the question, what difference does Easter make? We quit even asking it. What difference does the gospel of Jesus Christ make? When we're covered up with fears. In the midst of our fears, we tend to assume that lots of things separate us from God's love. This is what's going on at the end of Luke 24. I've listed in the bulletin our text for today. It's Luke 24, 36 to uh, 48. But I'm focusing on one verse, uh, Luke 24, 38. You might remember that Luke 24 begins the Easter story. It begins on Easter morning, early in the day. And the chapter has Jesus rising from the dead. And then it has several stories, an interesting saga of what happens to Jesus on that Easter day. In fact, Luke has the most elaborate and detailed saga of what happens after Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears with some disciples who are walking along the Emmaus Road, and that's just prior to our passage today. He talks to them. He teaches them, and they don't even recognize Jesus until he sits and breaks bread with them. And then on that, as that Easter day continues, Jesus appears to more disciples, and he appears while they are talking among themselves. They think he's a ghost because He seems to just appear beside them. And this is what he asked them, which is our single verse for today. Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's a pretty good question for all the doomsday preppers, isn't it? That's a pretty good question for each of our lives today, this holiday weekend, this season, this life. Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, when fear gets a hold of us, 
when we get so focused on self-preservation and personal fretting about our lives and our future and our hope and our sense of security, when fear gets a hold of us, we get a long way from the kind of life, the Easter life, the Easter faith, the peace, the wholeness, the hope where God wants us to be. We get a long way from there. This question that Jesus asked those disciples on Easter is a question for all of us to answer all the time. Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Here's another way of Jesus asking it. Why all the emotional turmoil in your heart and in your life? Why all the conflicting and confusing thoughts that overwhelm you? Jesus is zeroing in on the most problematic pieces of our lives. What wakes us up at night? What haunts us? What bothers us such that it stays right in our face? No matter where we are and what we're thinking, it is our focus. We can't get beyond it. He's zeroing in on that. Emotional turmoil. That's what he's talking about. That's the hard stuff of life about ourselves, emotional turmoil about ourselves or about some situation we're in or emotional turmoil about our loved ones, some circumstance that we wish we could change and make better. And we all have these stirring thoughts and cognitive confusion, heartache, restlessness at various times. And this is what Jesus says. And this is what Jesus does with those disciples In Luke 24, he says, look at my hands. See, it's really me. I'm not a ghost. And he says, touch me and see me. And then Jesus says and does something that's really strange. He asks them, have you got anything to eat? And the passage says, that they gave Jesus a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Luke's gospel is full of stories where Jesus is with disciples and other people and they're often around food, often at the table, lots of food and table and Jesus in the gospel of Luke. But this is the only story in the whole gospel that says Jesus actually ate it. He took it And he ate it, the brawl fish, that day, Easter. There are two key points about this little and strange scenario of the risen Jesus actually eating fish with his disciples. The first point is to reiterate what he's already said. It is really Jesus in their midst, not a ghost, not a figment of their imaginations. Ghosts don't eat. Ethereal spirits don't eat. Jesus is not a ghost. Jesus is not an ethereal spirit. The real risen Jesus is in their midst eating broiled fish with the disciples. It's an important point. And then second, and maybe more important, a few days earlier, Jesus, when he was eating the last supper with his disciples, though he didn't really eat, Jesus said, I'm eating this Passover with you, for I tell you, I will not eat again until all is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
on Easter evening when they encountered Jesus and filled with all their emotional turmoil and cognitive confusion, Jesus eats with them. And his eating is to show them that indeed the kingdom of God is being fulfilled. I will not eat again with you until it is all fulfilled, he had said earlier. His resurrection then confirms what we know is the beginning of all things being fulfilled, the kingdom of God being fulfilled. What does that look like? Death may be part of life, but death does not hold us captive. What does it look like? Sadness and tears may cover us and be part of life, but resurrection changes things. There's life and hope forever. What does it look like, this kingdom of God being fulfilled? Meanness and evil and suffering and even nails and a cross. That affects life. But those things do not ever win. God wins. The kingdom of God is being fulfilled. And then Jesus reminds them, And he continues, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written in Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. He reminded them how God is always at work, that repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed across the earth. God prevails over all the hard and the horrible. God offers forgiveness and hope and peace and possibility no matter what circumstance we might find ourselves in. God's kingdom prevails, which means all of our emotional turmoil and cognitive confusion, our tossing, our turning, our fears and our fretting, even our passionate pursuits of self-preservation, none of that is meant to be the way. None of that is meant to be the way the kingdom of God is being fulfilled. Can you hear that today? Can that be digested into yourself? Can it be filtered through us into the city and across the world? That's our calling. I wonder if you've heard the story of what happened in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in 1913. We're a historic church and a historic city, and we know about things like the Civil War and when they happened. I'm talking about Gettysburg, 1913. Gettysburg, as you know, was the location of probably the most famous battle of the Civil War, and certainly the most gruesome battle of the Civil War. Gettysburg 1913 would be the 50th anniversary of that battle. Well, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, in 1913, a large group of soldiers who had fought that battle returned to Gettysburg for the 50th anniversary. These soldiers decided to stage a reenactment of Pickett's Charge. All the Union veterans up on the ridge took their places among the rocks. And all the Confederate veterans started marching toward them across the field below. These are old guys. 
veterans from the war. And then the extraordinary thing happened as the men, the old men among the rocks began to rush down at the old men coming across the field. A great cry went up and all of them, instead of fighting, embraced each other, hugged each other. Instead of doing battle as they had done a half century earlier, this time they threw their arms around each other. Stood there embracing and weeping together. We find ourselves sometimes in emotional turmoil. We find ourselves often obsessing and fretting Doubting and wondering about any manner of things. We find ourselves engaged in all kinds of battles. Wars even. What if we had eyes to see like those old men saw as they fell into each other's arms on that historic battlefield? None of these issues that we have, none of them, None of the wars that we are mixed up in, none of it is beyond God's power to redeem. Jesus says, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus says, it's me. Touch me. See me. And then he eats with them. Brawl fish just to show He's real and to show His presence is real and the kingdom of God is being fulfilled. And that means life is held by God no matter what is going on. That means even though we can become filled and overwhelmed with emotional turmoil and conflicting and confusing thoughts that haunt us and we feel like paralyze us, God, God, God remains at work bringing life and hope and possibility, the kingdom of God, even. Friends, we're to remember the whole biblical story. God does not ever let us go. We're to live with faith, trusting God and serving God in every time and place. We're to know that there's nowhere we can go When God is not with us, we're to remember nothing, not height, nor depth, nor life, nor death can separate us from God's love. That's the promise. That is what should focus our lives and our hearts and move us to loving and serving God all our days. May it be so. This weekend, this week, This season, may it be so forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Show us your presence. Cover us with your promises. Increase our love. Deepen our discipleship following Jesus. Amen.